our campaign is called Among Us, and we have, the last couple of weeks, started going through uh, the end of Romans. So we were in Romans chapter 12 last week. Um, This week, we're going to primarily be in Romans chapter 13, but uh, we're going to look back at chapter 12 a little bit before we get there. So before we jump in, uh, would you guys pray with me? Lord, God, we thank you for who you are, that, Lord, you are good, and, Lord, we can worship you, we can praise you together in community. Uh, Lord, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening in the world, we can truly say that you are sovereign that you are on the throne, that our trust and our hope is in you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. It's in your name we gather. Amen. Okay, so I guess before I get in, a couple of notes. Um, if, so if you guys are looking for what John and I would want to say about what's happening this week and what's going on in the world, instead of taking time on Sunday for it, we released a podcast. So you guys can listen to that and check that out. Um, And we're going to try to do that more often throughout this year, especially and see how that goes. When things come up, we'll make comments on it and release a podcast. So uh, if you're curious to hear our thoughts on that, we're not going to be talking about that too much here, but check out the podcast. Note of clarity before I get into this one, okay? Um, (laughs) I've been planning this, going through Romans. Uh, I I originally figured to go through Romans back in October, okay? So before the election, in case you're wondering. Um, And then I've like confirmed it mid-November that this is what we're doing, okay? So we're going to be in Romans 13, and the first line of Romans 13 is submit to the governing authorities, All right, so uh, my thought was that at this point, um, the election would be over, we'd be able to go through Romans, uh, the end of Romans, and look back on the election and reflect on our thinking, reflect on our our, our heart through the election, and reflect on how we spoke about one another and the authorities and all of this. Uh, That's not where we are, (laughs) as you guys are aware. So, I say that just so you know, I didn't wake up Thursday morning and say, we need to go to Romans 13, okay? That's not what happened. We've been planning on being here. Uh, Our series is called Among Us, and as I lay the context and the groundwork for this, I think you'll see why, uh, why we're talking about this, and we're just going through the scripture, okay? Uh, That's one of the advantages of just preaching through a section of a book or preaching through a book is when we come to something, I can't avoid it. I'm not like going out of my way to make a point about this, um, to be poignant and to kind of dig. This one's going to, okay? But it's, it's just timely, okay? Because we need to hear this now. And this is in scripture. So my encouragement for you today is to hear this in light of what's going on in the world to reflect on it, to think about your heart, your behavior, your thinking, but to submit your heart, your thinking, your behavior to the authority of Scripture. Okay? I'm fully aware that most most people in our country will only respect my opinion in as much as it agrees with theirs. Fully aware of that. 
that is not how we approach God's word as Christians. When we approach God's word as Christians, we read it, we reflect on it, we think on it, we memorize it, and we attempt to conform our thinking and our behavior to the truth of what scripture says. When they come in conflict, we conform, as we, as we saw last week in Romans 12, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can know God's will. Scripture tells us God's will. So we don't conform Scripture to our will. We conform our will to Scripture. Okay? This one's going to hurt a little bit today. <laughs> I know. For many of us, this is going to sting. And it should. When you read through Scripture, there's not a lot of feel-good stuff in there. That you should be like, okay, I'm doing everything great. It doesn't happen in Scripture very often. Pretty much everywhere you turn, it's here's how we need to be thinking, and it will challenge your thinking, your behavior, your heart, all of it, okay? So I'm not trying to be overly negative. I didn't just think of this on Thursday. We need to conform our thinking and our behaviors to Scripture. Deal? Okay. So in the context, Romans chapter 12. John did a great job on this last week, and I'm a little jealous that John got Romans chapter 12 because it's one of the, my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I say that a lot, right? But it's so good. It's so good, okay? So the beginning of Romans 12, Paul has just gone through a long conversation of Christian theology and doctrine, and he comes to Romans chapter 12, and he says, now, here's how we apply this, and here's how we live in light of all of this theology. And he, he, he begins... By, by saying, in light of God's mercy, pointing back to everything that God has done, uh, particularly in salvation and how he has chosen us and how he has saved us and what he has done in Jesus. And then he tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I'm not going to go through everything that John spoke on last week because he did a great job with the text. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can know God's will. Everything that he says after that is based on this, that we have been transformed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that that is possible through the work of Jesus on the cross when our faith and trust is in him, then we can become transformed. Then he goes into a long discussion, long list of things that we should do and humbly love one another to exist in community among us, right? And then when he comes to verse 14, he begins to talk about how we are to live not only in a community of believers, but how we are to live in relation to the community around us. So I'm going to read starting in chapter 12. 14 through 16, so that you get the big context. Okay, this is all in the context of how we are to relate to people outside of the church, outside of our church community. This, this should sting, okay? <laughs> so, just to be clear, it's, it's God's word. Think of these in light of the events of this week. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Okay, that's a weird phrase that we don't talk about very much, so let me explain. It's from Proverbs chapter 25. Most likely what Paul is saying here, and there's differences of opinion on this, but most likely what he's saying here is essentially what he said already. Leave room for God to judge. Okay, that God will judge. So, I didn't read the rest of it. Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in this first section, it's all about blessing those who harm you, who persecute you. Don't curse them, bless them, he says. Being humble, not being conceited. Peacemaking, in the broadest sense, peacemaking, peacekeeping as followers of Jesus. So this first section, that's how he says we should behave in the culture around us as followers of Christ. Okay, so a little bit of context before we get into chapter 13. What's going on in Rome around this time Claudius was the emperor um, prior to Nero. So Nero was the emperor when Paul wrote this, but roughly five years prior in AD 49, Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome because of the Crestus controversy, which means the Jews were fighting about Jesus and whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. And they were being, it caused a bit of an uproar, and Claudius said, no, you guys are out. So he kicked them out. Kicked them out of their home, kicked them out of their job, their community, okay, for five years. Think of your last five years. You had to uproot your life for five years. Because the governor, or because the governing authority in Rome says, nope, you're gone, get out. And then Nero allows them to come back five years later, but they're paying high taxes. And not only... Uh, anyways, yeah. So they come back, and they're expected to pay their taxes still. Like, why? <laughs> why? Why would we pay our taxes when you just booted us, and you can just, on a whim, decide we're leaving? And the taxes are very high. Nero was actually considering uh, alleviating some of the tax burden by eliminating half of or at least part of the tax on the people of Rome. He decided against it and kept the tax in place. Okay, so that's the tension that they're facing. 
We've just been kicked out. Now we're coming back and we're supposed to pay taxes. How are we supposed to think about the government of Rome? So there's some kind of internal conflict there in the church, in the house churches of Rome, about their relationship to the government. But notice the lack of transition or difference between verse 1 of chapter 13 and what just happened in chapter 12. Okay, this is a smooth transition. He's talking about how we're supposed to live with the community around us, and he just simply says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Okay, this is where the chapter distinctions can be a little unhelpful. It's all in the same context and in the same vein. Paul just keeps going, okay? Now, to be clear, this isn't a full treatment of civil obedience and disobedience. This is a pastoral letter to the people of, uh, in the Roman churches and how they are supposed to live and how they're supposed to interact with the government there. So Paul doesn't go through every possible scenario, okay? This isn't like a doctoral thesis on civil obedience and disobedience. But when we read this, your mind is going to immediately go to, but what if, okay? But what about this circumstance? What about that circumstance? Paul's not interested in that right now, okay? He's giving us a general disposition for Christians and how we're supposed to respond and how we're supposed to live and think about the government authorities around us that have charge over us, okay? So I'm not going to go through a long list of exceptions here and talk about that. There is a case for civil disobedience that we'll touch on briefly. Okay, verse one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. That is a true principle. So he is writing to an immediate context and situation, but in his argument, he's making a lot of statements that are generally theologically true, and this is one of them. There is no authority except that which God has established. So that means the current governor of the state of Wisconsin has been established by God. That means the current president has been established by God. That means the previous president has been established by God. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Okay, so what Paul has just outlined, the theological truth that the governing authorities are instituted by God, that they are God's servants for rewarding good and punishing wrong and evil, this is our basis for civil obedience. This is why we should obey and submit to the governing authorities. Because their authority comes from God. This is also our basis for civil disobedience. 
which is where your mind had probably went right away, even though I told you not to, right? We serve a higher authority than just the governing authorities. So when our governing authorities, this is probably too general to be helpful, but when our governing authorities tell us to do something that is contrary to God's law, the clear teachings of scripture, then we are justified in not, uh, in not doing those things that the governors are telling us to do, okay? Here's some softball examples. <laughs> when the apostles are arrested in Acts and they're told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, in Acts 5.29, they say we must obey God rather than men, okay? That's a softball. That one's easy. Obviously, if someone tells you not to talk about Jesus anymore, feel free to disobey that command from the governing authorities and still talk about Jesus. Another example, if you were in China when they had the one-child policy and you're required to abort your baby if you got pregnant, you should not abort your baby if you get pregnant. You are justified in civil disobedience in that case. But there are lots of more gray area cases that I'm not going to go into, but one of them, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Verse 5, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, this is important, but also as a matter of conscience. We don't just submit to the governing authorities because we might get caught. To of, uh, we don't just submit to the extent that we won't receive punishment, or we don't just submit to say, like, well, if I get a fine, then I'll pay the fine, whatever. That's not it. It's a matter of conscience. For Christians, it is the right thing to do. Okay? This is also why you pay taxes. Yes, we're talking about submitting to governing authorities and paying taxes at the same time. I'm fully aware this is not going on my top 10, like most loved sermons ever. I don't have a top 10 list, but this one wouldn't make it for sure. This one's going to make the not top 10, I think, okay? This is why you pay taxes. Remember the situation and the conflict? They're paying high taxes. They just got kicked out of the city, and now they're welcome back. Like, why would I pay taxes to this guy? Maybe this is a good form of civil disobedience that's subtle and whatever. Just see how much we can get away with without paying. Also, the tax collectors were gouging them, taking more than they deserved, more than they should have. So there's a lot of reasons why they could come up with to not pay taxes. But Paul says this is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Okay, there's two types of taxes that were being imposed on them, taxes and revenue translated here. Paul says pay them both, basically. Pay them both and stop complaining about it. <laughs> if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So this is the second section in how we're supposed to relate to the, to the culture around us and to the governing authorities. So submit to the governing authorities and just pay your taxes. Okay, the, the interesting thing here is 
There's a lot of arguments we made about how the government was using their money. That's one of the arguments Christians use nowadays when they're reflecting on this is what if it goes to something immoral? Am I then obligated to pay taxes? How do you think Nero was using the money that the church, the taxes that he was getting? We're talking about Nero here. In a few short years, he's going to start lighting Christians on fire in the streets to light up the night. In a few short years, he's going to make them, clothe them in animal clothes and then release them to the lions and for sport, watch them get torn apart. How do you think this guy's using their money? And Paul still says, pay your taxes. Submit to governing authorities. Be good citizens. Verse 8, third section starts. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I love the transition there, it's clever, it's well done. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. It says just keep, you're never going to fulfill that obligation, that debt to each other, so keep giving it. Keep giving love. He transitions from the tax. Dude, how do you transition from taxes to loving one another? Good job, Paul. Way to go, man. That's fantastic. And he says here, he's echoing Jesus' statement in Matthew 22 that love is the fulfillment of the law. That if you're looking for gray areas in there, what does love require of you is the question that we should be asking ourselves when it comes to how we engage with the culture around us in even the governing authorities. And then verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so from those three sections on how we should relate to the culture around us, we see as Christians, band, you guys can come up and get set up here. As Christians, our posture towards the culture needs to be one of blessing, humility. I'm trying to summarize the ideas that Paul talked about here. Peacemaking submission to our go- and submission to our governing authorities ultimately based in Christian love. So I'm going to come up and apply this later. Might get myself in trouble. I'm going to do my best not to. Okay, let's pray. (laughs) Lord, God, help us to submit ourselves to your word. That God, when everything in us is crying out to behave in a different way than what your word says, Lord, when everything in us is, doesn't want to follow the clear teachings of your word and to follow your ethic of love for one another and the culture around us, God, would your spirit inspire us? Would your spirit work in us? Change our hearts, Lord, to follow your way. To Jesus, represent you well to the culture around us and to love people like you love us and like you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few minutes as we seek to apply this text. I said earlier I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm not. I don't think so. (laughs) I was just kidding. Remember, My calling is to take the truths of Scripture and apply them to our current context. 
That's all I'm asking you to do today. Take the truths that you see here, that scripture reveals, and live in light of them. Our big idea is as Christians, our posture towards the culture needs to be one of blessing, empathy, humility, peacemaking, and submission to our governing authorities, ultimately based in love. It's wordy, I know. You're not all going to remember that. We talked about empathy and humility a lot in our last series on the incarnation. So um, we're not going to spend time on those today. But let's talk about blessing and peacemaking. Remember, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Don't repay evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5:39, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. No. Maybe I'm speaking too loud, wearing out the microphone. Okay, remember the context that Paul says this in. Nero is soon to start seriously persecuting the Christians. He was not a moral man. And yet he calls them to the life of blessing and peacemaking in their culture. For Christians, this this means that violent retaliation, revenge, or vengeance is never on the table. Right or left side of the aisle. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is never on the table. When everything was going down on Wednesday, I turned on conservative talk radio just to hear what they were talking about. And the main narrative that I was hearing was these people are so upset because they're losing their country and the left drove them to it. I don't care so much about what non-Christians do. But if you're a Christian, according to this, that is not an appropriate response. Violent retaliation is not an appropriate response. Even when civil disobedience is justified and warranted, it must be peaceful. And protest is fine, good with that when we're protesting something that violates the law of God. But violent retaliation is never necessary. The amazing thing is, is that even after Nero was lighting Christians on fire in the street, feeding them to lions, the Christians never retaliated. They never fought back. There is nothing in the biblical text that says, if you reach this point of persecution, you are justified in forming a militia and going and fighting. Never in the biblical text is there anything that you can draw that conclusion from. We serve a Savior who willingly gave up his life. All of the apostles did the same, and they never fought back. Christians need to be about blessing those who persecute us. Repaying evil with good. That is our calling. Submitting to governing authorities.
This should be the general posture that we have towards the government. As Christians, we should be good citizens. To our governor, our president, our congressmen and congresswomen, those who have been given authority over us by God. So unless they are telling us to do something that is contrary to God's law, we should obey the law. It's been a hot topic over the last year, but this is why we have asked all of us to obey the mask mandate at church. Because I see no reason why this mandate given by the governor violates the law of God in any way. If you have a reason and you'd like to share it with me, I'd be happy to hear it. But I don't see one. Instead, the arguments that I hear are usually based on health, which there's allowances for in the mandate, or political. Ultimately, it has to be all based in love because love is the basis of the Christian ethic. So, the reflection question that I have for us today that I want you to spend a few minutes on is, in this current climate, how, what is your overall posture towards governing authorities? And how does love influence the way you think about them? Love is the basis for our Christian ethic. It should influence everything. But for some reason, Christians love to take off Christ when they come into the door of the political sphere. We say, my Christian ethics don't apply here. Here I am free to take revenge. Here I am free to hate. That cannot be, church. We cannot eliminate the way of Jesus in certain areas of our life. It is all-encompassing. It is all-encompassing. So, take a moment, reflect on this. Close your eyes. Who would you describe as your political enemy? Some of the common ones. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Ted Cruz, Nancy Pelosi, Tony Evers, Robin Voss. The dude on Facebook. Take a moment and reflect on this. What does love require of you? In how you think about that person? In how you talk about that person? We're going to sing one more song in a moment here. Take a moment and think on that for now.